All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Within Tolerance. This is episode 28, and Dylan and I have a guest this week. We have Jake Yates from Yates Precision. He has some really awesome products, and uh, he's really interesting page, really interesting products, and I'm really excited to have him on. So I guess, Jake, do you want to just start? How did you get into manufacturing? How did you get into machining? And uh, just take it from there. Yeah, first of all, guys, thanks. Thank you for having me. Um, I've listened to to every episode. I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, thanks to to Dylan and Peyton for putting this podcast out. I know it's a lot of hard work and can be a uh, thankless job. So first of all, thank you guys. I know a lot of people enjoy listening to it, uh, myself included. So so thank you. Um, secondly, I just want to open with I am the complete opposite of your last guest, Andrew Henry from Henry Holsters. I have <laughs> zero artistic or musical ability. I did not go to school to build guitars. <laughs> Um, my wife probably yells at me at least once a day for my terrible singing. Um, and I hate hot and spicy food. So (laughs) if, uh, if you guys are tuned in and are expecting to have something similar to, uh, their last guest, um, you know, maybe check out Joe Rogan podcast or something (laughs) because it's not going to be the same. But, uh, one similarity with, uh, with Andrew is I cannot stand practical machinists. So when he mentioned that, I was like, okay, we're in the same boat. And, you know, I'm someone with a, a fairly decent machining background and I just, I can't stand the treatment that people get over there. I will go, go there if I'm, I'm, you know, looking for something specific, but, yeah, like he said, it's the complete opposite of the Insta Machinist community. So um, uh, I'm glad I found the Insta Machinist community. Um, and, you know, again, thank you and, and thanks for having me. So, yeah, well, we, we appreciate it. I, I know it's definitely my pleasure to co-host with Peyton. So we, we really appreciate you coming on. And so you, you mentioned you have a, a really rich background in manufacturing. How did you get started in that? And, uh, you know, we, we definitely have some questions about your day job and your business. And then let's sure. start from the bottom and work up from there. Sure. So um, I went to Rochester Institute of Technology uh, in upstate New York for mechanical engineering. Um, At that time, I probably couldn't even spell CNC, didn't know what it was, had no (laughs) idea. And which is kind of, you know, looking back on it is kind of odd because I know they have a lot of Akumas there um, in their machining um, center. Uh, I just I was just never exposed to it. I thought I wanted to be a design engineer, which now I often feud with design engineers. Uh, so it's kind of ironic, but anyway, I went to school for mechanical engineering. Um, and when I first got out of school, um, I'm originally from Southwestern PA, which is where I currently live. Um, when I first got out of school, um, I was, you know, typical college kid applying anywhere and everywhere to try to get a job and start paying back student loans. And I actually got a job as a maintenance foreman in an underground coal mine. So that was my first job uh, as a mechanical engineer was I was going underground every day for nine hours a day, swinging shifts. Um, I was a salary guy. I had eight union mechanics under me, and our job was maintaining and repairing uh, coal miners at a coal mine. So that that was my first job out of school. Wow. That's, uh, I'm sure not exactly what you were looking for going to school for mechanical engineering and and, and design work. Correct. So that's, I worked there for about two and a half years. I realized I did not want to work there for 40 more years. Um, But on as a side note, if you ever get a chance to to tour an underground coal mine, do it. It's uh, it's very eye opening. You'll gain a new respect for those guys that go down there every day. Um, It's, it's 
whatever temperature it is outside, it's, it's that temperature underground, you know, they're pumping cold air underground at about a million cubic feet a minute. Um, so it's cold, cold in the winter and hot in the summer. So it's pretty miserable. So yeah, after two and a half years, I was doing anything I could to get out of there. Um, so two of my buddies that I graduated with were working in Ithaca, New York at a company that manufactured turbine uh, blades and vanes, mainly for power generation stuff. Um, they had an opening for an engineer. So my wife and I, uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, not wife yet. Uh, we moved up to Ithaca, New York, and that's kind of where I first got into manufacturing. Um, most of the work we did there was wire EDM, RAM EDM, grinding, and some very basic milling. Um, but I was mostly in wire EDM, which I really enjoyed. Um, the milling we did there, um, most of it was actually done on Bridgeport Series 1 CNC knee machines. Um, so it was literally take a Bridgeport knee machine, um, put some servo motors on it, um, and there's your CNC. And we were actually milling uh, wasp alloy, Inconel, uh, on these machines. So it was, uh, it was a very rudimentary intro to, uh, milling. Um, so after about three years there, uh, my wife and I got pregnant with our first son and we were both from Southwestern PA. So we wanted to get back home. So again, just started throwing out applications left and right. And that, kind of landed me where I am today, um, which my company that I work for is called Perryman Company. Um, it's a very interesting company. Um, the parent company actually produces titanium. So they take it from raw sponge and melt it down and make, you know, your titanium bar, titanium wire. Um, and we sell that titanium mainly to the aerospace and medical industries. So actually pretty much every aircraft in the air today has Perryman titanium on it, mostly in the fasteners. Um, so we saw a lot of fastener material. And actually, if you listen to Business and Machining, Grimsmo men has mentioned Perryman titanium a couple times on there. That's actually where he buys uh, some of his titanium is Perryman titanium. Yeah, I, uh, when you told me where you worked, I was like, oh, that sounds familiar. And then I, I did a, kind of a deep dive on their website and <laughs> it's amazing how broad the company is. I mean, everything from material to machining to testing to, you know, everything in between. Yeah. And it's a fantastic company to work for. Um, it's privately owned. Um, Mr. And Mrs. Perryman, you know, they're in their at least eighties. Now they're still involved in the business. Uh, their sons have kind of taken over. Um, it's a great family, great company to work for. Um, so that's, that's, they got started in 88, I believe 1988. Um, in 2012, they purchased the facility that I currently um, work at, which is our forge and fabrication facility. It was already a medical manufacturing company that was kind of going under. Um, they purchased us in 2012. And between, so in 2012, it was a one building facility with some older Mazaks, um, not too many machines. So from 2012 to now 2020, we are probably right around 100 CNC machine tools, um, which include Makinos, uh, Hermles, uh, Mori's, Mazaks, 
and uh, a couple of Dusons as well. And Dylan, I share your love for Dusan. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we we just uh, we just actually at my day job purchased another Matsura because we were so thrilled with our Dusan. So. Yeah, oh, so we <laughs> our Dusons, we don't have any Dusan mills. We have uh actually our only Dusons are Dusan mill turns, they're MX sixteen hundreds, which I, I hear great things about Dusan lathes, so I don't want to knock Dusan as a company in in general, but their Dusan mill turns are, are not very good machines. Um they're they're cheap and they're cheap. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, we've got a bunch of three X or uh, two axis lathes at work from Dusan, and they've they've been nothing but bulletproof. But uh, and yeah, that's I, what I hear. So I, yeah. I and I, it wouldn't keep me from buying a Dusan lathe, but I would never buy one of these Dusan MX sixteen hundreds, and we are not purchasing any more of those. So, so that's that's kind of you know how we feel about about Dusan. But we so this facility we have two buildings now um our lower building does mainly plastics machining and our upper building does mainly metals machining so and we machine all medical implants um, hips knees vertebrae um, and we do both the medical and the plastic components so the plastic component think of essentially your cartilage or your bearing surface and then the metal component is the part that gets you know implanted to your bone. So, so a lot of peak and then titanium for the metal. I'm guessing. Yeah. So our main metals are titanium and 17-4 stainless, probably the two main metals, with some cobalt chrome as well. And then plastics, you're looking at Radel and ultra high molecular weight polyethylene or UMFI. Mm. <clears throat> and so, with an implant, you have a trial and then the implant itself so when you get into surgery say you're going into a knee surgery the doctor has a briefcase well actually toolbox full of trials and all they are just different size um they resemble the implant but they're made out of so the plastic is radel for the trial and the metal is typically 17-4 stainless um, because both of those materials can be put in an autoclave cleaned and reused um so and they're just using these to size you up, see what size fits. And then they pull out the uh, umphi implant for the plastic and the titanium implant for the metal. And that's what gets implanted into your body. So, um, so yeah, there's always a trial and then an implant and a plastic component and then the metal component. So it's very interesting. Like I said, we do, we do a lot of knees, um, knees and hips are our, our, our biggest and we actually do quite a few vertebrae, so which is a oh, pretty wow. interesting process as well. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into manufacturing. That's where I currently work, and that's actually where I'm currently sitting. As I mentioned to the guys before <laughs> we pressed record, is my internet connection is also very similar to Andrew Henry, a Henry Holster at home. So I uh, <laughs> stuck around at the day job to, to take advantage of the internet. So do you mainly program mill turns or, I mean, it sounds like you guys have some pretty fantastic five axis machines as well. Like what, what's your, your go-to or like, what are you in charge of at work? So my position at work is I'm a manufacturing engineer. And what that means here is we're, we're a medical job shop. So we don't design any of the parts that we make. Um, all the big players uh, come to us and with prints, just like a job shop, except they're all medical components. So they come to us with a new product. Um, it's passed to one of the manufacturing engineers. There's 
eight or nine of us here. And it's our responsibility to take that product from start to finish. So we take the print, we design the process, um, we program the machine, we design the inspection criteria, the inspection process, and we kind of take it from start to finish. So I typically program mostly mills. Um, I have, I'll get a mill term project maybe once a year. Um, That's kind of geared. Some of the other guys take more mill term projects. I just tend to take more of the mill projects. So most of our mills are the Makinos. We have Makino F5s with Sudacoma tables on top of them. Oh, wow. So it's mostly three plus two stuff. They're capable of doing full five axis, but if it's not necessary, we don't do it. Just uh, with the third party table mounted on top, you deal with some, some back, some backlash and some blend issues Um, and medical components need to be essentially jewelry coming off the machine, even though they don't need to be, they, they need to be. So, (coughs) excuse me. So I program mostly mills. Um, We just currently, well, we just recently um, within the last year purchased two Hermley C22s and those machines are incredible. Um, By far, you know, the best machine I've ever gotten to program and, and kind of run. Um, I've run through the basics, but it's night and day compared to, to the Makinos. Um, the Makinos are great machines. The F5 is really a die mold machine. Um, so the rapids are kind of slow. It's not meant to do a lot of tool changes, although we run it doing a lot of tool changes. So uh, the Hermley is just, I mean, it's a, it's a great machine. So that's awesome so are those i'm assuming all of your machines must be or for the most part hsk interface Uh, yes so we run pretty much all hsk 63 um we have five makino a51 horizontal horizontals and seven makino uh ps95 105s which is kind of like their more robust mill and those are cat 40 okay well, so with access to, you know, such an amazing company that you work for, what made you want to start your own business? Yeah, so that kind of stemmed from the last job I worked at. Um, I, while I enjoyed what I did, I did not enjoy who I worked for. Um, so so I think we've, well, most of us have had that boss that aren't really a, a pleasure to work for. And I didn't want to work for him the rest of my life or really work for anybody the rest of my life. I, you know, the, uh, the idea of, you know, creating your own success, you know, the harder I work, the bigger the payout at the end of the day, uh, with my own business, um, that, that has kind of always appealed to me. And maybe it's just, maybe I have an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, within me, but, uh, it's kind of, it kind of stemmed from my last job. Um, and then as I started gaining more you know, manufacturing experience. I just really enjoyed it. Um, so I, I pretty much go straight from here home, hang out with the kids and the family and then do it all over again out, out in my shop or, you know, where I'm and similar to, you know, to you, Dylan, I'm, I'm sure where, you know, it's kind of, you live and breathe it and it, it's really just what I enjoy. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely empathize with you. I mean, I don't have a a full family, no kids or anything, but yeah, it's, you know, work and then come home for a little bit and then work and then, you know, what little sleep I can get. So. Right. Exactly. It's a a lot of late nights and early mornings, but I really wouldn't change it for the world. So. 
Yeah, same, same. So um, that kind of brings up one of our questions, which was how do you balance, you know, day job, your shop and family time? Because um, you do have a full, you know, family, you got a <clears throat> wife, two kids. That's that's a, quite a, you know, a big card that you've been dealt, I guess. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> so so neither you have kids, I don't believe, and enjoy that time while you have it. Kids are great, <laughs> but it, that could be a full-time job in itself. And I have to give my wife a lot of credit. You know, she's essentially a stay-at-home mom. She's helping out. She helps out with the business a lot. Um, but, at, you know, at Sunday night, you know, after the weekend, I kind of look forward to coming to work for the day to kind of rest. Uh, so kids are a lot of work. They're a lot of fun, but man, they're a lot of work. But as far as balancing it, I mean, it's pretty much, like I said, it's, I'm here, you know, at the day job until generally 530. I get home a little after six. I hang out with them. Uh, kids typically go to bed between 730 and eight. Uh, I put them to bed and then I'm usually out in the shop from 815 to midnight most nights and then pretty much wake up and do it all again the next day. Um, some days it's harder than others, uh, especially if things aren't going well, either at the day job or, or at, at the shop at home. Um, and I oftentimes think, you know, I, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, you know, something has to give either the day or either, you know, essentially go full time, uh, at my shop, which is the ultimate goal or, or back off on my shop, which I don't want to do, but, um, I can grind it out like this for a while, but it's, it's, like I said, it's a grind. Um, and it's, you know, weekends to try to get out to the shop as much as I can, but it's, it's a grind and I enjoy it most probably 95% of the time, but sometimes it's, it's a little much. So it's, but it's fun. And my wife has been helping out quite a bit lately. Um, so I get to spend time with her in the shop, which is great. Uh, my kids are getting older and they're starting to ex- start to starting to express interest in uh, daddy's shop. So we'll <laughs> see. I kind of, you know, it'd be nice to have something to pass off to them that they can eventually take over. So that's the ultimate goal, I, I think. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's <clears throat> I have been seeing your, your wife and kids more on your feed. It seems like when that, that must be really nice. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it, it, it's nice that she's she takes interest in what I do um, or else it would be a constant battle of fighting for time out in the shop. You know, instead she's out there with me. So it's, I'm fortunate in that aspect for sure. And on a side note, this is completely not machining related at all. And I was thinking about this the other day is how quick kids can learn. You know, so my, my oldest son is just over three years old. And when, so when he's born, right, babies are, are next to useless. They, they, they don't do anything. You have to, I mean, they're useless. So that's, right. They can't even hold their own head up, let alone. No, yeah. no, absolutely useless. And so my, my son turned three in September and he can now, I mean, in that time he's learned to crawl, walk, uh, feed himself, talk. He's learned to sadly operate an iPad. He can drive his power wheels better than some people drive a car. And I was just thinking like, <laughs> if I had the mental capacity to learn that much in three years still, I, I don't, I, I just, I can't contemplate how much you have to learn in the first few years of your life. And, you know, I, I mean, it, it goes, it, it goes a long way. And, you know, when they say, you know, teach kids new languages when they're young and, and I could see that, I mean, he picked up English in 
you know, a couple months essentially. So it is just, it was a complete side note and a random thought I had, but man, I was thinking about it the other day and it was, it was mind boggling. Yeah. It would certainly be nice to maintain that, that sponge brain for right, the rest exactly. of your life, you know, and they are a sponge too. You got to watch what you say, especially <laughs> a three-year-old oh, man. You got to watch what you say. <laughs> oh yeah. I bet. Yeah. Uh, so. I have a couple of friends with kids and yeah, it's, it, it, they they pick up on everything good and bad so right so on that note dylan how do you balance your i mean i haven't heard you talk too much about your work-life balance <laughs> yeah dylan Poor, poorly um <laughs> uh, thankfully my girlfriend is really understanding we we make i make a very concerted effort to spend one or two days either a full day on the weekend or you know two half days on the weekend and do stuff with just her and not shop stuff. Um, we planned, you know, specific dates and stuff ahead of time. Like I'll, I'll find th- things that I know we both want to do and buy tickets or make time or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's definitely not easy. Like it's, it's definitely a strain on our relationship, but sure. You know, thankfully she's super understanding and, and sees how much I love it and, and the growth that we're having and all that. And so she's at least for now, very understanding of me, you know, working, 70 sure. 80 hours a week so would you agree that it's not a sustainable lifestyle for the indefinite future i mean oh no even if i didn't have her it wouldn't be sustainable right. i mean yeah, it, it i just, feel the same way yeah I, I i could do it for you know no family for a few years but still it's it's just not sustainable but it's you know we'll see we'll see where the next couple of years couple of years take me and you know hopefully it's and I'm in the same spot you are. And I've heard you mention that, you know, you love your day job and I do love my day job. And I, I, it, it'll be a bittersweet day if the day comes where I, where I leave my day job to go full time in my shop for sure, because I, I do love it. Um, and you know, there's always days where, you know, things aren't going your way, but typically, I mean, I, I, I enjoy coming to work and I'm very fortunate in that aspect. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. And like, you kind of touched on it, but had I been working where I'm working now, I'm not sure I ever would have started Prodium. Um, right. Like it, it, I was in a very similar place where I did not see my work directly reflect on how much I can make or, you know, status or anything like that. Um, and like, it just seemed like my, no matter how much I put into it, I was never going to get anything back out of it. And so that's what kind of pushed me toward to starting a company. Whereas where I'm working now is the exact opposite. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the same way. So maybe, you know, while I hated some days at my last job, maybe I'm, you know, maybe it was a blessing in disguise to kind of kickstart my, my entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Same. Definitely. So speaking of your shop, you going back in your feed, it looks like you started out doing some job shop work with your machine. Um, and then you've, now recently jumped into safety razors. So let's kind of talk about both, you know, the early stages of your business and then, you know, safety razors, how and why, because it's, it's not a, a usual thing that you see pop up ever, really. I mean, a lot of the safety razors seem like they're designed in America and then, you know, mass produced in China and shipped here and, and sold by the dozen. So, yep. Yeah. And you're exactly right there. So yeah, I did, uh, I started by doing job shop work and I still mix some job shop work in, uh, every once in a while, I have a couple good customers that, that I, I continue to do work for. Um, and I think I'll continue that. I, I enjoy the job shop, uh, 
kind of an arena. Uh, it's something new and different. Um, I enjoy the, the fixturing challenges and, and, and things of that nature. But <clears throat> so, yes, <laughs> safety razors. Uh, it was an odd one. Um, it was a little over a year ago now, and I have to credit my dad for introducing them to me. Um, he pulled into my driveway one day and said, hey, take a look at this. I'm like, all right. And he pulled out this safety razor. I had no idea what it was. I, I had no idea. I was like, okay, what is that? He's like, yeah, it's a razor. I'm like, it's a razor. How? I don't, I don't understand. Where's the plastic cartridge? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so then he kind of started explaining it to me. And, uh, and he, he said, you think you could make that? I was like, I looked at the three components. I was like, yeah, I mean, compared to what I, what I typically work with at, at work, it was fairly straightforward. I mean, there's nothing, nothing too complex about, about the parts. Um, so I started doing some research and like I said, this was probably last December. So December, 2018. Um, and then over the next three or four months, um, when I had some free time, I started, I was working on a design for, for my own safety razor. And, um, and and like you said, Dylan, the majority of what you see out there is designed in the U S and then they use metal injection molding. Um, it's typically a zinc metal coated with Chrome. Um, and, they're they're cheap and it's uh, something about a a cnc machined product you know it has that nice feel and um so i decided okay let's let's try this and at first i machined a couple um and i thought okay i'll use one of these maybe a couple of my friends whatever um then people started expressing interest in them and it kind of took off to where i i launched a pre-order um this would have been I think June of 2019, um, I launched a pre-order. I pre-ordered it very well, um, delivered all the pre-order, and then I kept getting orders and people asking, you know, are you going to have more in stock? I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to run with this. Um, so so that's kind of where I am today. I actually, in November, I had a large distributor um, reach out and, you know, they ordered a large quantity of them that they needed by Black Friday. So... In a matter of three weeks, I, I made a hundred safety razors, um, and after that, I was like, "Okay, I think I can scale this and, and turn it into something." And that's kind of where I am, you know, currently. Um, and it's it's been a strange ride um, <laughs> for sure. And <clears throat> having your own product is very nice. I, I think I've heard you guys talk about this before, and it's just there's so much less stress than your typical job shop work when you own your own product. So if there's no definite delivery dates, you know, okay, I'm a day late to listing these on my website. All right. Well, you know, I'm only, it's, it's not a big deal. Whereas, you know, job shop, you're a day late, you're sweating. Like you said, Dylan, you're running to the post office on <laughs> at four thirty when, or at the FedEx at four thirty when there's supposedly close at four. Or, right. So it's, it, there's none of that. So it's nice. And you control your own production, you control your own schedule. Um, so it, it's a nice change of pace. So, um, with, the with all the, uh, all the production I've been running, my dad's been very involved in the shop, which has been good. It's nice working with him. Um, he's learned a lot. Um, he actually just purchased a, a Shapeoko router to, to play with on his own time. So he's, he's kind of, he's kind of hooked as well in the CNC machining. Uh, I'm teaching him fusion. 
So it's uh, it's been fun. Um, he do, he helps me a lot with the uh, the finishing processes, the deburring, uh, the blasting, the tumbling, stuff like that. So it's been it's been good. It's been a good ride. Um, uh, the the order for a hundred that I had to get to the the distributor by Black Friday was a little stressful, um, but we we delivered them all on time. And, and I've only heard good things so far. And Dylan, you said you ended up with one of my razors. Yeah, I actually got one from that. I think that big order. Um, yeah, I, I, that's what I figured. Did you get the uh, the brass base plate with it as well? Yeah, yeah. So okay. I I think you posted about it, and that day I saw that it was on sale. Um, and I was I sent it to my girlfriend. I was like, hey you were looking for things for Christmas, you know, hint, hint, here you go. Yeah. And, yeah, and I heard you say you only, uh, nicked yourself one time. Yeah. Only a little bit of blood, huh? I'm two shaves in and I'm getting a little better every time. A uh, little, little less blood this, the second time. Um, I actually used the brass base plate the second time. Cause I usually go a little longer between shaves than yeah. I probably should. And so having that, uh, the hybrid side really helps with that you know right yeah and the uh, that's that's the the uh plate that i use all the time now is the brass base plate and that was odd too i didn't had no intentions of making that <laughs> um but i hadn't seen anything else like that um out there where you have the closed comb on one side and the open comb on the other um there's plates that are both that are open comb or closed comb but i hadn't really seen both so i was like all right i'll try it and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that as well. So, and speaking to your only nicking yourself a couple times in the first shave, that's way better than I did. It looked like someone after my first shave with a safety razor, it looked like someone shot me with birdshot. I mean, it was like I had paper towel or toilet paper stuck to me like all over the place. I was like, Ooh, I don't know if this is for me, but ever since I, it's, it's probably been eight months since I've cut myself with, with a razor. So you get better. You stick with it though. Yeah, I, I'm. I can tell when I get it right. Like it is a much closer shave. It feels better, all that stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely, I'm in it to win it right now. Um, and and it's gonna save me. You know, I, I was a dollar shave club person, so it's gonna save yeah. me. You know, 120 bucks a year or something like that. Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah, the initial investment is more. Um, but you know, you're talking 18 or 20 cents a blade uh, after that. So, it. it the initial investment, like I said, is more, but and in the long run, it, it, it pays. And it's also a better shave. Um, you know, you don't get any ingrown hairs, no irritation. So it's, you know, typically with like your plastic uh, disposable razor that has multiple blades, the first blade that comes through actually pulls the hair away from your face and out of your skin. And the second blade cuts it. So then it retracts below your skin. And that's where you get your ingrown hairs and your irritation from. So only having one blade, it's, it's, it's a much nicer shave. Hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, but yeah, it, it's a fantastic product. Like it, it really is a, a gorgeous, you know, single piece of, and I love that it's, you know, 316. It, it's got that really nice weight to it. So I, I, I definitely applaud you. That's a, uh, it's a fantastic design. Thank you. I appreciate that. So that actually brings up one of our uh, listener questions. So Jody from Machinist Therapy Hotline, mayor of Little River said, machining aside, packaging is often overlooked but you seem to have hit the bullseye with packaging. How many attempts did it take for you to get it right? And did you ask for customer feedback? You know, how did you land on, because I, I believe all of your packaging is recyclable or? Correct. It's all either from recycled material or compostable and recyclable. So it's all, you know, eco-friendly to a set, in a sense. 
So how did you land on that? You know, how did you come by all of the different pieces of it? Because I've thought of, you know, I don't have my own product yet, but I have thought about like, oh, you know, how, how do I do this best? Um, sure. So first of all, Jody, thanks for the question. You know, I, in addition to your podcast, I, I love Machinist Therapy Hotline. It's, uh, you know, that's, that's the great thing about all these machining podcasts is they all offer something a little bit different. Um, and Machinist Therapy Hotline definitely offers comedy. Uh, so <laughs> definitely. When I saw this question come up on the, on the list of questions, I, I just pictured Jody like in his barbecue vest and jandals, just like, <laughs> yeah, that's some pretty good packaging. So, <laughs> but so for the packaging, um, I have to give a lot of the credit to my wife. She kind of took the, took the lead on that. Um, I wanted to go eco-friendly because one of the main reasons uh, safety razors are making a comeback is uh, due to the plastic epidemic that we're kind of seeing. Um, and it's something like people in the U.S. throw away like 2 billion plastic dif- disposable razors a year and those Jeez. are going into the landfills. So that's that's kind of the safety razor movement that you see right now and why they're making a comeback. Um, so I wanted, I didn't think it made sense to, to make an eco-friendly product and then ship it in a bunch of bubble wrap and plastic shrink wrap. And, and I, I try to be as eco-friendly, you know, outside of work as I can as well. Um, try to leave as little of a carbon footprint as possible. So I thought the eco-friendly went, went well with the product. Um, in all honesty, it was a good a marketing scheme as well. You know, I can market it as, you know, eco-friendly packaging, eco-friendly product. And then I kind of gave that to my wife and she took the reins. Um, and you know, there's a lot of good, uh, eco-friendly packaging available out there. And I've actually started using a lot of it in my job shop stuff as well. Um, so places like sustainable packaging, Inc, I believe it's called, um, and eco enclosed, um, they all offer very good eco-friendly alternatives to packaging. Those are the two main ones that we use. Um, we had lots of samples delivered. Um, she <clears throat> posted a lot of Instagram stories. I posted some Instagram stories looking for feedback. Uh, we got some great feedback and we continue to get good feedback on, on our packaging. Um, every once in a while, we'll see a review that says, you know, I want my packaging to be reusable um you know to where they can put the razor back in it and and i understand that it's you know with the shredded paper in there and stuff it's not really a reusable um packaging so we're kind of looking at that seeing if we can get some sort of eco-friendly reusable packaging as well Mm -hmm. but yeah like i said i have to give a lot of the credit to my wife and you know i think i think the packaging did turn out very well but it's still a constant evolution we're always we're always looking to improve so over the next few months, you'll probably see some slight changes in our in our packaging, but we're going to stick with the eco-friendly theme for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I, I really appreciated it. I mean, <clears throat> everything was well-packed, and I like the little hidden you know, compartment behind it with, with the, the card for the, you know, your specific model and all that. Um, it, I thought it was really well done. So, Yeah, that was another thing that I hadn't really seen. Um, you know, I, I come a little bit from the, the knife industry. I used to mess around with. I actually used to forge some knives and in early on um and i followed john grimsmo for a while and you know you see the the individual serialization in the knife industry a lot and i think that people appreciate that you know it makes it kind of original to you while it's 
a huge pain in the ass on my end. It's, it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's worth it. Um, you know, uh, especially with the, the stone wash finish, you know, like I machine it, stone wash it, and then I got to reload it in the machine and engrave it. And my engraving is only, you know, three to five thou deep. So any bad loads, um, anything gets under the part, it, that part is essentially scrapped because the engraving is not going to look right. So that adds a lot to it. Um, then handwriting all those co- are those cards. Whew, that's that's rough. Oh, <laughs> so, so that's my terrible handwriting that's on your card there. Dylan, so. <laughs> so that actually, uh, I don't think I have this on the list, but I meant to put it on it. How are you doing your engraving? Because I know it's 316. 316 is not the most user-friendly material to machine, and your engraving is so crisp on it. I mean, it, it is just as good in the 316 as it is on your brass plates. And I was really, really impressed. Well, thank you. I, uh, it's a 31,000 ball nose, uh, Harvey tool. And, um, like I said, I'm going, I think, I think my engraving is maybe 5,000 deep and I'm doing it in one pass. Um, I use primarily helical and Harvey. I've heard you Dylan, especially talk a lot about helical. I've been a long time helical user and, I will continue to be a helical user um, and, and Harvey as well. They just, they make it so easy to get it right on the first shot. Um, their machining advisor pro is fantastic. Um, it's the best speeds and feeds um, calculator I've seen. Um, great customer service. And Dylan, I know, <clears throat> and even Peyton, I know you guys have mentioned the, the issues with distributors and that, what you your so one distributor does helical and one does Harvey is that yeah I've got that, two and one one that's in Phoenix and Tucson and one that's in just Phoenix for uh, Harvey and the the Harvey guy is fantastic helical guy or the helical company is just horrible yeah so I so I go through Butler Brothers and I from what I heard I have a pretty good contact at helical and Harvey that I, I talk to quite a bit and. From what he says is Butler Brothers isn't supposed to sell to me, so I, I don't know because <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Southwest PA and I guess that's not their territory. But I mean, they have an online site. Um, I think that's where I placed my first order. Then I kind of got in touch with um, you know one of their their sales guy who's fantastic. I I can send him an RFQ. He'll get back to me within ten minutes, and I'll have the order placed within fifteen minutes, and it's heading my way. And they offer both Helical and Harvey, um, so I guess I'm fortunate in that aspect, um, even if it's not legal. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, I mean, like my Harvey guy, I think two or three weeks ago, I needed some key seat cutters, and I called him at. 4 30 p.m or maybe it was 3 30 and was like hey i need these four part numbers he said i, I needed them overnight shipped he was like okay i think i can still put it in and get it shipped out today it'll be there monday and i was like that's perfect and they showed up that saturday like the app the next day and you know that's that's what i i need a lot of the time for these really quick turnaround jobs right exactly and you know I, that's the type of service I get, um, through my distributor and I'm fortunate that they sell both. And again, I, I mean, I use some other stuff as well. And I know people are interested in my Frasia finisher that I, that I post about. And, uh, yeah, I've got a question about that. Actually. I wanted to <clears throat> kind of pick your brain about that. Yeah. And I use, um, I actually, I use some gorilla mills. I don't know if either of you have ever used gorilla mills, but they make some 
pretty good products as well. Um, I have a, a contact who, who reps Gorilla Mill. He's a, he's a good guy. And, you know, I, I'm more than happy to give him my business if I, I come across something where, you know, I, I have a odd application that maybe Helical doesn't have. I, I, I'll go with a Gorilla Mill. So. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of Gorilla, but I've never tried it before. Yeah, they're a small company. I actually toured their their facility. Um, pretty small company, but they're growing. Um, they they make a nice end mill. Awesome. So let, let's jump back real quick to your Frasia, though, because those are they're starting to become more popular in the U.S. It seems like, but uh, I, like I had used them maybe five or six years ago. Now um, mm-hmm. we used them in the first shop I worked at just for one one or two jobs, and they were they were. They look just so gnarly and not like anything you'd ever really want to use, but they they really do just work so well. It seems like in uh, stainlesses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was introduced to Frasia actually through our Hermley guys. Hermley uses a lot of Frasia tooling. Um, you know their applications. Um, they're actually located fairly close to each other. Uh, Hermley's out of Germany and Frasia is out of Switzerland. So that's how we essentially came across Frasia. Um, in addition to that crazy finisher that I'll talk about here shortly, they also make some great aluminum tools. I know both of you guys run aluminum. They make some very, very sharp aluminum tools. Um, we use a lot of Frasia tools here for cutting our plastic, um, which we use <clears throat> similar tooling to what you use in aluminum it has to be a very sharp edge uh, to get a good finish, especially in uh, the poly parts. Um, so they make they do make great um, plastic and aluminum tools as well. But so the the Frasia finisher, I kind of, we had the Frasia rep come in, and I was running. This is at my day job. I was running a a a bone chisel essentially. And I was getting some so-so finishes, uh, side milling it. It was, uh, it's 440 stainless. Um, and he had this crazy looking tool that he said, here, try this. Um, and it was that seven flute. It was a half inch tool with that very tight helix on it. Um, and I was like, all right, this is never going to work, but I'll give it a shot. He was like, oh yeah, we're getting, you know, side milling. We're getting finishes sub 15 RA. Um, so give it a shot. And I did. And sure enough, first part off was about a nine RA side milling in 440 stainless. We ran, I think that job was for 60 pieces. Um, Same tool, part number 60 was about a 10 RA. So they last, they're great tools. Um, They do leave a very nice finish. Um, They're a little pricey. I just had to bite the bullet and order another one for at home. And that's always... It's always worse ordering a, a tool at home than it is at your day job. I know that. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. But no, I mean, that's bananas. Like the, that low of an RA for a side mill finish in stainless, like that's, you know, unheard yeah, of pretty much. You can't take a big step over obviously because the chip gullet is next to nothing. So uh, I think max step over on that. I'm running a three quarter inch tool at home max step over i think i'm taking a six thou something like that leaving six with my rougher oh wow um, so, yeah so you, so you can't take a lot but the tools last and, and they leave a great finish um so and um Frasia sells direct online which is a big plus so they have an online store you can go there check out 
Um, and they also, they're out of Minnesota as their U S their U S headquarters. Um, they're good people to talk to. Um, so it's, uh, and we've only started using for Asia probably within the last year, I would say. And we've been very happy with them. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely have to try them out. So kind of, I guess, segueing into your machine, there's like, we've, we've got a few questions about it. Let's, let's go over. Well, I actually, hold on. I before that I looking at the razor, you have two mill parts and a lathe part and no CNC lathe. Yes. I have so got to know how you're doing that, that handle. I actually, so the first probably 10 handles I made in house. And now I actually, I do outsource the handles to a guy. He's on Instagram as well as his name is Ben Jenkinson. He runs Jimco machine. He's in Nebraska and he's got a Swiss shop. So I've kind of know, came to know him through Instagram. Um, and the way I was making them, <laughs> as you can imagine, was not scalable at all. So the first prototype handle I made was on my benchtop grizzly lathe, and I turned it all by hand. Um, and that's actually the handle that's on my razor at home that I use. Um, so that was the first prototype. The next eight, I used my Mori mill as a lathe. So I I loaded up my material into my tool holder, um, and I mounted my rougher and my finisher in my fifth axis vice on my Sudacoma indexer. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and I had, I mean, it was fairly slick if I do say so myself where I, it was a, you know, it, the part would come down, it would rough, um, it would pick up my indexer would index spin 180 degrees. My finisher was there. It would come finish. Um, and then all I was left with, I, I think I was taking them to the manual lathe and parting them off and finishing the backside there. But, that's kind of how I ran my first 10 to kind of, you know, get an idea. And I, I think I gave a couple of razors to some friends and stuff and they probably got those ones. But as you can imagine, that's not real scalable. So I, in the interim, uh, I reached out to Ben in Nebraska and, uh, you know, he's been great to work with. He runs a nice, nice shop. Um, so he's been making my handles since, but I am going to be purchasing a CNC lathe probably within the next month or two. Okay, because yeah, I mean that that was, I had seen your Instagram posts kind of going through that whole, you know, process of the manual lathe to your, you know, chucking it up, and I was like, there is no way he made a hundred pieces for this order in his mill, like just no, no way. Um, no, I'm not that dumb. Okay, that okay, that, that makes me feel I, I, better for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was. I learned after about part six, I was like, okay, I got to do something different here because this is miserable. Not to mention, you know, I have one spindle. So while I'm screwing around making handles on my mill, I'm not making the other two components, which it just wasn't wasn't scalable. So as much as I wanted to keep everything in-house and eventually I do want to pull everything in-house, I, I just, I mean, it didn't make sense to do that at the time. So um, it's much, much more suited to a Swiss machine than a 12,000 pound, 1993 Mori <laughs> mill. Yeah. So, so you actually touched on uh, one of Brandon Sadiswa's questions, B Sadiswa on Instagram. He said, what would be the next equipment purchase for YPM by value, you know, under 500, a thousand, 5,000. So you're getting a lathe. I mean, you, you, you said yeah, that's that. actually, that's actually not on my list. So I am getting a lathe, but I didn't, I didn't 
put it in there. And I, so another benefit of my day job, um, is I work with a lot of great people and we typically, you know, they, I mean, they're aware that we have, you know, I have one of my coworkers also has a shop at home. They're aware of our shops at home. My mill actually came from my day job, um, by way of another person, but it actually, you know, it spent the first 15 years of its life making medical implants and now it's in my shop. And that's also where my lathe is going to be coming from. It's, uh, it's actually down over the hill right now, um, in our plastic shop. So it's a Mazak QT10. Um, it's a late nineties machine, but it's only ever cut plastic. It's never had coolant in it. The coolant pan and the auger have never been used. The coolant pumps never been used. It's a very clean machine. So wow, it's kind of the, kind of the benefits. One of the benefits of, of working here is, uh, as we replace equipment, we typically get first dibs on, on the stuff going out the door. So, but I did not add that to, uh, to Brandon's question. So, uh, you know, Brandon, I talked to him on, on Instagram quite a bit. He's actually done some trial laser engraving for me. Um, yeah, I saw that. So, that was pretty slick. <clears throat> yeah. So he's a, he's a good guy. Um, he posts some pretty good content, mostly through his stories. So, um, he, he also works in a, in a shop. So, but thanks for the question, Brandon. Um, so yeah, besides the lathe, then what is your next equipment purchase? What do you need? All right. So I see he has under 500, um, under 500. I need another blast cabinet. Uh, so typically I just run aluminum oxide blast to get my stonewash finish. I'm going to start offering some glass bead finish as well. And it's not practical to mix those two or try to, you know, change out that media. You always end up with a little bit of aluminum oxide left in your, in your glass bead and it shows up in the part. So I need to purchase another blast cabinet. And to be honest, all I use is, uh, the old Harbor Freight uh, benchtop blast cabinet, and I've been using it for six months, and I have no complaints so far. Um, had to add my own light into it. I bought, you know, the uh, dust deputy dust collector and hook a shop back up to it, and I have no complaints. So I'll probably be purchasing another one of those at least, at least in the short term. Eventually, I'll graduate to a uh, an Empire or a Scat Blast or something like that. But so that would that's going to be my next purchase, and that's probably coming here in the next. A couple of weeks, um, so somewhere between five hundred and a thousand. I need more table space and another workbench. Um, it seems like any flat surface in my shop collects stuff, um, so <laughs> and it drives me crazy. Actually, I just spent last Sunday um, with my wife, my dad, and my father-in-law. We were out in the shop rearranging and, and cleaning because it was. I have a slight OCD, and it was driving me insane the the state it was in it was still kind of in disarray from the the order i had to deliver to the distributor so there was stuff everywhere and like i said every flat anything flat you know collected something on it so i need some more table space uh for sure or else things get misplaced or i'm you know using my blast cabinet as a table to do things i shouldn't so so 500 to a thousand is definitely some more table space um and I think it was what in between a thousand and five thousand. Um, I need to invest in some zero point fixturing. Um, <clears throat> I know you guys talk a lot about the Pearson stuff. I've been looking very hard at, at the Pearson pallet system. I've also been looking very hard at some fifth axis uh, rock lock stuff. We use um, some fifth axis here at work. Um, my vice on my my indexer is fifth axis. Um, 
So I don't know which way I'm going to go there yet. I've been looking very, very hard in that realm, but I need to get quicker at, at, at changing over. Um, it's just too slow right now. Um, right now, I, so I have a dual station orange vice and then my fifth axis vice and my, my op one for my razor components is essentially a palette. You know, I use mighty bites and then the MMM, uh, piranha strips to, to hold my two pieces of stock. I run two piece flow. So every cycle I get two complete razors done. Um, so my, I kind of designed it so that it was scalable to go to some sort of pallet system. I just need to make that jump and, and make it happen. And I foresee that happening probably within the first, mm, first half of this year for sure. So then we were between 5,000 and 10,000. Um, I need to upgrade my, my compressor. Um, so I run just a, it's a two stage Ingersoll Rand compressor now. And I don't know if you've seen my latest, some of my latest posts, but my motor kind of crapped the bed on me and I'm currently running my machine off of a cobalt compressor in the meantime. Oh, it's, geez. Uh, so, so, so I saw one of your questions is what tool can I not live without? Uh, that answer is my compressor. I've learned <laughs> in the last week. Um, when the, when the, uh, the reciprocating compressor is running, it's great. And it, it keeps up with what I need to do, but I can't, I can't blast and run my machine off of this little dinky compressor I have right now. I have a new motor coming for my compressor, but I would like to upgrade to a, a rotary screw compressor at some point. Um, one for for just decibel level you know a rotary or a reciprocating compressor is quite loud i have it in an insulated room so it's a little bit quieter but still it's a little bit loud Um, yeah it's rough for sure yeah so that i actually had that question for you guys i know peyton you have a screw compressor right yeah an atlas okay and then dylan what do you have in your shop we've got a eaton polar uh piston compressor okay it's a three-phase, seven-and-a-half horsepower, I think. It's either okay, five or seven-and-a-half, something like that. Oh, yours is three-phase? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, I see a screw compressor in my future for sure. Um, so that would run me somewhere between five and ten grand, I'm sure. And then the ten grand plus is I need another spindle. Um, so I'm with this being an IMTS year, uh, I think, by the time it rolls around, I'm going to be looking pretty hard at a new mill. Um, one, I need something that's more geared towards production. I love my Mori um, when it's running. <laughs> and I think <laughs> I think I saw that question coming up here, and that's going to be a fun one to dig into. But Yeah, we've got a few questions about your mill, so yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when it's running, I love it. Um, but I have no tool breakage detection, no probing. Um, I've come in to at least three, three different occasions, you know, you know, running a day job and having a family, I have to run overnight. I have to run while I'm at work. Um, but on quite a few occasions, I've come back to about eight broken tools, which equates to about $600, $700 worth of tooling that goes just because an eighth inch rougher went. So I need tool breakage detection. Um, probing I can live without, but you know, it kind of comes as a package deal and I, I'll, I'll welcome probing, but tool breakage detection is really, really what I'm looking for. And I can put that on my mill now, but I think by the time I sourced all the right components and got it all working, I'd, I'd be better off just investing in something new with a warranty. That would be nice, a warranty. 
Oh yeah. Forward to that. You like that word? <laughs> yes. Yes. So speaking of your mill, it is a what MV forty? Yeah. So it's a ninety three MV forty M. Okay. Um, and you got an I eighty on there? Yes. It's a Yasnak control, and I know your what your Kitamura had a yeah or has a Yasnak control. Yeah. So it's kind of a an I eighty J three hundred bastard, but uh, yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about your machine. Um, we've got three different uh listener questions that are all about it um and but let's kind of step through it so you said as a 93 how much memory does it have okay so i am very <laughs> fortunate in that aspect it has two megabytes of memory oh you've got the full upgrade whoa yes and that that's a factory upgrade too i do not have to drip feed i run like i said i run i run two-piece flow i do a lot of surfacing um now I do run sub programs on my op two stuff. So if I didn't run sub programs, I wouldn't be able to fit all my all my razor programs into the machine. But since I run sub programs on the op two, uh, I can fit everything I need to in there. I've not run out of memory yet. It is fantastic um, because I know some people who have a similar machine to me, and they have like I don't know sixty four kilobytes of memory or something ridiculous. So. Yeah, I've got five twelve k, and it's it's painful. Yeah, so being that this machine, um, you know, came from my day job, um, we don't skimp here usually. Um, we usually get things decked out. And like I said, they bought this machine new in 93. Um, it, they got the upgraded memory on it. It is a full five-axis machine, um, so it can run simultaneous five-axis. Oh, wow. Um, it's got an 8K spindle. It's, I mean, it was really in 93 would have been the Cadillac of, of CNC machines. And like I said, I have a Sudicoma indexer on it. So I got pretty high end indexer on it. Um, so when it runs, it's a fantastic machine. Um, however, I did not purchase it straight from, uh, my day job. It was purchased when it left here, um, just before I started here and the guy had ambitions of starting his own shop and he put it in a warehouse and never started his own shop. And it sat in a non-climate controlled area. Um, it had power to it. Um, there were leaks in the roof. Um, so this, in hindsight, I should have been better. And I see this is one of the questions coming up too, but <laughs> I think a lot of my issues that I've had have stemmed from it sitting for two years, not under power. And if you run any older used equipment, you kind of know that don't, don't ever power them down. And that's what I do now. My phase converter runs 24 seven and my machine is powered up always. Um, because most of my problems happened when I shut it down and powered it back up. And we even see that on some of our newer machines here is, um, you know, we shut down over holiday uh, for about a week and a half and usually getting back up and running, even on our newer Makinos, um, putting power back to them. Uh, we usually have at least one or two issues um, getting back up and running. So whatever it is with electrical equipment, it does not like being powered down and then cycled back up. So I've learned to leave my machine under power. Um, but like I said, I think a lot of my issues have stemmed from it sitting for, for quite some time. Okay. So yeah, we had, we had questions. Let's <clears throat> Let me dump them all out and we can kind of, you've already started to answer some of them. So Adam, the machinist said, seems like you know what your way around the mechanical and electrical systems of your Mori is machine repair, something you've done professionally, or have you had just to rise to the occasion now that you own an older machine? 
Um, no, I've never done it professionally, although I think I could be a Yasnak and Mori tech guy now. So <laughs> I could always fall back on that, I think, because I've become uh, very familiar with the electrical cabinet on my, on my machine. Um, I think I got some, I'm fairly mechanically inclined, you know, being a mechanical engineer, I've always kind of had a, a mechanical mindset. Um, but I th- honestly, I think those two and a half years I spent underground in the coal mine, you know, my job was repairing um, large electromechanical pieces of equipment. So that's where I kind of learned how to read an electrical print. I learned how to troubleshoot. Um, I, I kind of learned my way around, you know, machinery that had both electrical and mechanical components. So I think I gained a lot of my knowledge there and a lot of my troubleshooting through through working there. Um, the next place I worked, we didn't have a maintenance department. Um, so any machine went down, it was our responsibility to get it back up and running. So I spent a lot of time on wire EDM electrical cabinets as well. Um, <clears throat> but then it was just trial by fire, really. You know, um, when the Mori went down, I was not making any money. I have one spindle. So, so it was all hands on deck and that's only two hands cause it was just me. <laughs> and I, again, am fortunate that I work with a lot of great guys and a lot of knowledgeable guys uh, here at Berryman that, and they also are very familiar, familiar with my machine because, you know, they ran it for 15 plus years. Um, so, so I got a lot of help from guys at work and um, I think you've spoken to this before, Dylan, but yes, Cow support is very good. Um, they still support all their older, um, you know, controls in CNC machine tools. Um, and it's free all, too. It's free. I mean, all the, the phone free. stuff, at least all the phone and yep. email you can ask for. Yep. And it's, it's great. And they're very responsive. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I like the Yasnat control and I think you did as well. And you know, I know you mentioned, um, liking that control over fanic and i I agree i think yasnak was a great control um and i have no issues with it i have no issues with their support and then on the mori end i got lucky and got a hold of a an older gentleman tech guy that you know he knows all this older machine uh all this older machinery and he's very knowledgeable he has step-by-step documentation on how to change this out, how to change that out. And he sends it all my way. And that happens to be free too. So really, uh, the only, the only, um, money I have in it is parts and, you know, some sweat equity, but I, uh, I've been fortunate that, you know, I've, I've found the right people that, that know the machine now. Is it frustrating? Oh my gosh. Yes. It's so frustrating. Um, Oh yeah. Well, I mean that, that day, so Dan's custom machine asked, he said, seems like your older machine has let you down at some bad times. Does this make you regret not upgrading to a new machine to have less problems? And like, I mean, I would assume obviously you would want a new machine and I'm sure it's frustrating. So like, let's maybe talk about what things have gone wrong and how you've remedied them. Cause I, I went back through your feed and there's been, it seems like a few times now that you you've had been down due to various things. Yeah, so I have replaced my spindle encoder twice, my spindle drive once, and my y-axis drive once. Um and I'm uh I'm limping with a subpar upper spindle bearing right now, so that's on my to-do list as well. So I uh kind of 
been through the gamut. Oh, I've also faced quite a few tool changer issues, but that's just been to due to some really gummed up contactors, fortunately. So that hasn't been too big of a deal. Um, do I regret it? It depends on when you ask me. If I'm hoisting an 80-pound spindle drive into the electrical cabinet and trying to hook it up by myself, yes, I regret every minute of it. <laughs> but once I get out and I calm down and you know pick all the stuff up that I threw on the ground and think about it, I don't have a machine payment. Um, so I the spindle wasn't making money, but I also wasn't too stressed about it because you know I don't I, I bought the machine outright. I didn't have a payment on it, um, which <clears throat> I it, it's. Like I said, it depends on when you ask me, but uh, all in all, no, I don't regret it. Um, especially it's been, other than the spindle bearing, it's been running pretty good for me lately. Now I'll probably go home tonight after this podcast and it'll either be on fire or know, something, <laughs> something will be wrong because I said that. So No, you just got to sweet talk it. I, I understand. I got to go make some parts on my kitty tonight too. And I'm going to, you know, baby it and, <laughs> and tell it what a yep. good machine it is and, and hopefully get through what I need to get through. So. Yeah, so I have one, you know, those orange plastic dead blow hammers. That thing has taken quite a few trips across my shop, for <laughs> sure. <clears throat> it's it's uh, it's frustrating, but yeah, when it's running, like I said, I love the machine. It's very accurate. It's very rigid. Um, uh, the old cliche of I can hold tenths all day or whatever. I I mean, I I can hold a half thou on it, no problem. Um, it's for a machine that's what is it 27 years old it's it's great um yeah and when i get a new machine i'm i'm keeping this one because like i said i need another spindle this will probably become my r&d prove out new products machine any random job shop stuff um but <clears throat> yeah sure it's frustrating at times but uh Oh, well, that's all part of the fun, right? Yeah. I mean, my my story with my kitty kind of reflects yours very similarly. I mean, mine's 19 years old. It's thrown, you know, it's it's pulled the, the pallets apart and thrown one into the machine before. <laughs> I've had my main board go out twice now and had to first have it professionally repaired, but, but not by Yaskawa, and then repaired by Yaskawa, which really just means half the price of a new board from them. <laughs> right. Um, yep. But overall, like you said, you know, I can hold a half thou all day on it and it's, it's accurate and it's fast and it does everything yep. I want. So I, I understand. Yeah, and that's the thing with the older machines. I mean, newer machines today are fast as can be, but I think you, you kind of sacrifice a little bit of rigidity in those, you know, direct drives and they're not box ways. They're, they're linear rails and the older machines, are, are slower in the rapids, but man, are they rigid and, and they just, they make a nice part. They leave a nice finish. Um, so I, I do love my Mori. Um, and I, I don't regret it. So, uh, but I am going to, I, I am looking forward to, to owning a machine that's under warranty and I, I don't have to worry about, but I'm not looking forward to the machine payment because I'm not going to be able to buy a new machine outright. Um, but it, it is what it is. I think, I think by that time I, 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 I shouldn't have to sweat a, a machine payment. Um, but if, if the time's not right either, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pull the trigger cause I don't want to put myself or, or my family under that kind of stress. So totally. Yeah, no, it, it's gotta be the right thing <clears throat> at the right time, but it sounds like you're well on your way there. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Um, it's, you know, it's been a fun ride, uh, these last few months and 
I have a lot of big things, you know, planned for 2020, probably way too many big things planned for 2020 and I'll probably accomplish <laughs> maybe a third of them, but I got to have goals. So. Yeah. Well, I, I know I've seen some of the <clears throat> ancillary products that you've been posting up, you know, a, a stand for the razors, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what else comes out of your shop. Yeah. Yeah. There should be. Um, so I have, like, just, like I said, I just re- released uh, an aggressive base plate. Um, so if you, there's more to a safety razor than meets the eye and there's some good, uh, and I plan on posting some, some diagrams explaining some of the different stuff, but you know, there's a lot of, a lot of geometry that comes into play, um, as far as, you know, what kind of shave you get out of it. Um, so I'm releasing an, or I just released, sorry, an aggressive base plate that, um, has a larger blade gap and positive blade exposure. So essentially what that means is, in between, so you you clamp it down with the blade in there. Um, in between the base plate and the actual blade itself, you can fit larger shim stock, um, is what that means. So it, the gap between there is bigger, um, which kind of exposes more skin to the blade um, and creates a little bit more aggressive shave, but lets you get a little bit closer shave. And then the positive exposure means that the blade actually protrudes beyond the safety of the top cap in the base plate itself. Um, and we're only talking, I think the exposure is only like three thou, so it's not much, but it is, you know, the blade is the first thing that, that touches your skin, which, um, you know, there's different shaving techniques. And this is all stuff that I've learned in the past, probably mm, six months. You know, when I first made this thing, I'm like, all right, make a safety razor. And then I put it out there and I got people saying, Oh, your thread, your thread's different. It's not standard. I can't use my other handles on this. So now I'm releasing a top cap that has 1032 thread rather than 1024 because 1032 is the more standard and it'll let people use their other handles on, on my top cap and, and base plate. So and there's, there's forums out there and, and Peyton, honestly, it's probably similar to, to like the Lego community. I mean, there's people, there's conventions that for this wet shaving community, really? there's forums. What? Yeah. It, yeah. It, there's, I mean, and this is, like I said, this is all, st- all new to me in the last five months, you know, you got to get like in said, on was, that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, uh, I'm already looking at some, some shaving conventions. It's, it's good exposure. And, um, there's not too many players in the CNC, um, especially domestic CNC machining of safety razors. There's a couple that I can think of and that I've, I've actually spoken to and they run small shops. One of them's out of Canada. It's carve shaving. Um, his name's Chris. Um, he runs a, a nice shop and makes a nice razor. And then there's a, a guy that runs, it's called charcoal goods. His name's Brian. Um, he makes, uh, I think he focuses more on handles. Um, he does some very nice handle designs, but there's really not too much going on in the, uh, the CNC machining of safety razors. Like you said, earlier Dylan it's mostly metal injection molded and and produce the crap out of them so um but it's been like I said it's been very interesting uh you know the first time you know after I released the pre-order I like googled Yates safety razor and it popped up on all these forums people talking about my safety razor I'm like what is going on like what what realm have I entered (laughs) that's so cool though that you like I mean almost immediately have brand recognition I mean that's such a big thing in uh, selling products nowadays yeah and I don't know if I got lucky or, or what but most of my most of the feedback I've gotten and has been very positive um and I've actually become pretty good friends with with some older gentlemen that are 
that are very active in the wet shaving community. And, and I've talked to them quite a bit. I actually send them my new products to, to essentially beta test and, and give me feedback because they have lots of experience in it. Um, and, and they seem to love my products. So I, I guess I kind of got lucky, uh, out of the gate that, you know, I didn't intend on entering this big wet shaving community, but I kind of fell into it. And I, I happened to release a product that, you know, was at least decent and, and got a, a decent name for myself out there. So, um, it's, like I said, it's been, it's been fun, but interesting and a huge learning experience and I'm learning every day. So it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah, definitely. So stepping back a little bit more holistic <clears throat> question. Um, I had one and it kind of combines with one that Brandon had as well. Um, so my, my question was how is working in a medical machining company changed the way that you design and process parts that are used on the body and his even more holistically was how has your day job influenced your business decisions you know as far as finances marketing machinery tooling all of that sure and my first answer to this is probably not how the question was intended but my day job influences my 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 side business um in the way that I have to be as lean as I can at home just due to time. Um, you know, I spend eight to 10 hours here a day. So when I get home, I have to have a game plan. I have to, you know, I'll, I'll make a list of what I need to get done in the shop. So I don't get into the shop and I'm just wandering around aimlessly. I have to have a goal and I have to have things that I need to get done because my time is limited at home. So, um, that's one way my, my, my day job essentially affects, and I think in a positive way, it forces me to be efficient. Um, but I'm sure that wasn't how that question was intended, but that's, you know, the first thing to pop into my mind is, I, you know, I, I, I try to have a great plan for, for when I get home so I can, you know, make the most of my time. Um, the other way is, you know, I already touched on it, but um, um, my day job, offers me first dibs on older machinery, on used equipment, on vices they're getting rid of, inspection equipment. So it's, I, again, probably not how that question was intended, but it's, uh, it's, I'm very fortunate that, you know, they, they offer it up to us first. And I kind of, I kind of end up with things that I probably shouldn't and, or wouldn't be able to afford or, you know, acquire if I didn't work here. Um, the other thing would be tooling. Um, I gain tons of knowledge by by working my day job on on tooling. I get to I get to experiment with different brands. Um, I get tooling reps in here all the time, um, and so I kind of stay up to date on the latest tooling technology. Um, and and I'm I'm very fortunate there that I I, I meet a lot of great sales reps um, that I, I stay in touch with. Um, they bring a lot to the table. They let me test out tools. Uh, so I'm very, <clears throat> I'm lucky there. And, you know, I, I've, if there's a brand of tooling out there, I've probably tried it. Um, and I wouldn't be able to, to say that if, you know, it was just my, my shop at home. Um, as far as finances, uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say they're, they're directly related. I don't, I don't think I, I don't spend a lot of time in the finance department here. We're a fairly big facility. We have a quoting department. Um, sometimes when I hear how much my parts have been quoted for, I get a little upset, but, but, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, I wouldn't say those two overlap too much, but mainly the, the tooling, 
um, and then just forcing me to use my my time wisely when I'm when I'm in my shop. Yeah, I definitely uh, reflect that as well. You know, I, I I don't think that I would have such a deep interest in automation and zero point systems and and things like that if I didn't have to make the most of you know the the time the limited time that I have in my own shop. So I totally right, understand and, that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I need to get to some quicker change over zero point stuff because, you know, I'll spend an hour or two pulling the vice out, cleaning it up, switching soft jaws. And, you know, I run the car smart soft jaws in my, in my orange vice, which is nice, but it's, it's still time consuming. Whereas with the rock block or a Pearson palette, it's one turn of a wrench or one turn of, you know, the vacuum system or whatever. And you swap your next palette in there. So it's, it's, the next step for sure. I need to get more lean there. Totally. Yeah. It's especially for, you know, us small shop guys. That's, that's how we compete. So I totally understand. Yeah. And it's, and it's not ridiculously expensive either. You know, some of these smaller guys like, like Pearson and even fifth axis, you know, they're not, they're not the Lang of the world. You know, they, they're a smaller company that can offer their products at, at reasonable prices. So um, it's not out of reach for, for us, you know, smaller guys, you know, it's kind of along the same lines as, as Fusion. Um, we haven't really talked too much about Cam, but, you know, Fusion has really opened the door for for smaller guys and, you know, guys in their garage or guys like me in my, my shop. You know, it's kind of, you know, before it was, you got to spend 30 grand on Mastercam or, or something like that. I mean, it's, it, it wasn't feasible, um, but now, you know, Fusion and it's, free or 500 bucks a month depending on how you play that card and it's i mean it's it's really opened the door for people yeah so let's touch on that i mean you brought it up what do you use for cad cam and why and then also fort manufacturing said you know what did you do for a post-processor for your older machine yeah so i'll start with um my day job um we use power mill and part maker here both autodesk products um, we used to use Mastercam, and we transitioned to um, PowerMill, and <clears throat> we'll never go back. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if either of you have any exposure to PowerMill, um, but it's it's kind of where Fusion's going. Um, a lot of the stuff that they're pulling into Fusion is already or has been in PowerMill for quite some time, and it's just the control that you have over your toolpath. Um, you know, before you generate it. And then even after you generate it, um, if I have a raster toolpath with 200, you know, lines of toolpath, every one of those I can click and get, put a different lead and link on it. Um, and after it's generated, you know, it's, it's very powerful. Um, it's, it's really great software and I, I can see fusion heading that way, which is good. Um, but they still have a little ways to go till they, till they reach, you know, power mill and, I'm kind of afraid of what it's going to cost when they reach that point. So yeah, well, I mean, it seems with like with the uh, manufacturing add-ins that they've they're at least starting to show their hand as far as how they're going to price things, and you know, they're, I'm hoping that there's always going to be this base level of fusion that'll get you know three plus two work done yeah. for a relatively cheap price. Right. Yeah. So then for our all of our mill turns, we use Autodesk Part Maker, which is great software. Um, we have two Swiss machines as well. Um, and we use part maker for that. It's, we used to use Mastercam. Then we used a spree. 
and we weren't happy with Esprit at all, so we used Part Maker. Um, Esprit's just tough. It's like it's so dense. It is, and we were getting little to no support, um, especially when it came to modifying post processors. Um, they just flat out didn't want to do it. Um, we have so we run our plastics machine. We have some Mori NTXs, uh, Milturns, and they didn't really want to change their post processors. They said it's. It's proven. Everyone runs it in the country. We don't really want to change it. Um, but, you know, we had special calls that we needed for running plastic. Um, and it, we just didn't get much support. Now, whether that was our reseller or if that was the spree themselves, I don't really know. But it's it's a pretty penny to buy a spree. And then to not get support was pretty frustrating. Um, so we jumped to Autodesk. And we are very fortunate that our Autodesk uh, sales rep is out of Philadelphia. Um, his name's Brian Danola, and I think a lot of the Autodesk guys that they're listening out there, they know Brian. Um, he is a wealth of knowledge. He came from, he was a, a part maker applications guy for a long time, and now he's in sales. Um, he has written and modified every post processor for us, um, he, and we're on version probably... 50 on oh, at, least, at least four or five of our post processors. That's impressive. Um, he's added custom macros um, tailored just to us. Um, you know, power mill is very macro friendly. It's very macro heavy. Um, so he's written tons of macros um, to make our lives easier. And he, he's, <laughs> I give him a hard time, but he's a, he's a great guy. And uh, he's man, it, it in, you know, I hear some things about Autodesk like elsewhere, and I I think we're just fortunate that we have a, a great uh, sales rep, um, someone who knows the software and knows it very well, the ins and outs of it. Like I said, I mean, it takes a special kind of person to completely write and then modify a post-processor, and he's very responsive. I have a cell number. It's, I mean, it's, it's, we we kind of lucked into that one, um, but we've been so happy with our Autodesk products here that you know, it's, it's, it's been a great partnership. So we're happy we made the switch and I don't foresee us going anywhere else. Um, so that takes me to at home. I use fusion at home, obviously. Um, now while fusion is, is relatively inexpensive, um, power mill and part maker aren't ridiculously expensive. I think three plus two and power mill is, um, they're subscription based as well. When they go to power mill and part maker, I think it's like four grand a year or something like that, 4,500. So it's not crazy, but it's a little bit out of my price range, at least right now. So yeah, I use fusion 360. Um, Fusion's great because it's parametric. So especially when you're designing your own products, um, any change you make on the, on the CAD side obviously gets reflected in the cam side and it's easy to, to regenerate the tool path. Whereas software like power mill and part maker aren't parametric. They're strictly cam. So it's, uh, it's a little bit more work to, to make changes, but, you know, like I said, we're a medical job shop here, so we don't, we're not changing the models or anything like that. So it's not, not as big of a deal, um, for my post-processor at home. Um, I actually use the Haas pre, uh, next gen control post that with some tweaks in it. Again, Brian from Autodesk has, has found his way into fusion and modifying fusion post-processors. So he, uh, he, uh, helps me out there, you know. I'm I'm more than happy to dig into and, and learn a how to modify and how to edit posts, but you know that's not the business I'm in. I, you know, I my time is limited, so um, it's it's great that he he helps me out and he he 
he's uh, modified that that pre uh, next gen control post for me to for my Mori to to do what I need it to do. So, and the Yasnak control, you know, Dylan, you know, it's not that not all that much different from a from Fanic code. Um, you know, I think drilling and tapping might be slightly different, and then I have to I have my uh, my indexer on there, so my my axes are set up a little bit differently. But all in all, I mean the 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 pre uh, NGC control post was pretty close to what I needed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the tapping on the Yasnak using uh pitch instead of inches right, per minute. Yep. I mean, that's, yep. As far as I'm concerned, that's the way to do things. Sure. And is, does the brother do something similar? I mean, I, I know they're, that's like their thing is, is tapping. And I, and now you had mentioned it. Um, and they do something along the same lines where how they pair their spindle and servos or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, they have their own tapping code. It's by far personally. I mean, I, from what, everything I've seen, I think it's the best tapping code on the market right now, as far as the way it's laid out. So it's G 77 and then, you know, your X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. But then if it's a metric thread, I want to get this right. I think if it's metric, it's I. And if it's English, it's J. And if it's metric, you just put I and then the pitch of the thread. And then if it's metric or if it's English, it's J and then the threads per inch. Yeah, that's it's nice when things are intuitive. Yeah, it's super easy. So, you know, if you have a quarter 20, you know, it's just J20 and you're, you're golden and it takes care of the feed and all that stuff for you. And it's all RPM de- dependent. That's nice. Yeah, I don't I don't do too much tapping. Um, you know, the the threaded post on the top cap is obviously thread melt. Um, none of my other stuff is tapped. I'll get into tapping whenever I, you know, pull the handles in and, and start tapping on the lathe. But uh, tapping on a lathe is scary to me. Tapping in general is scary to me. I, I'm not a big fan, so we'll see. Well, you're also tapping in a, a lot more scary material than we usually are. Um. Yeah, yeah. Tapping <laughs> tapping 316 is rough. Uh, we don't really tap too much titanium here at work. We usually thread mill everything. Um, when we need to have the control over over our threads. Um, we do some tapping in the stainless and we don't do too much threading in general in the plastic, some, but not much. So I not a fan of tapping. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> and it's not only that, you know, you're using typically if you break a tap, that part's junk. So let's throw it away and start over, which is, is rough. So, so, you know, you break a thread mill, you can usually go back in and clean it up. It's, it's slower, a lot slower, but sometimes it's worth it. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you've got such high dollar parts. Sure. All right. So we've kind of worked our way out from the microscopic to the macroscopic. I've got a few, you know, 30,000 foot questions. And then uh, I think that's that's really all we had written down. So the one thing that we had on here and you you kind of touched on it maybe earlier, but what's your favorite machine you've run? I mean, it sounds like you have had quite an experience from you know, CNC bridge ports all the way up through Hermley's, you know, what, what is your by far favorite one to run? Hermley C22 by far. Um, it's just, it's got the Heidenhine control on it, which is such a nice control. Um, going from Fanuc to Heidenhine is like night and day. Um, you kind of need to forget everything you know about G code, um, when you go to Heidenhine, but man, once you do, it just, like you said, with the tapping on the brother, it just makes sense. Um, and it's it's very variable heavy um so essentially at the heading of each toolpath you call out variables um so you can have 
you know, your cutting feed set as a variable, your rapid feed set as a variable, um, all these different variables. So then instead of going through all your code, if you want to, you know, change your feed rate from 10 to 15, all you do is change the the one time it's called out in the variable with the heading of the program or the heading of the toolpath and, and the rest it takes care of itself. It's just, it took a little while to get, I mean, we're a strictly Fanuc shop here. Um, our Mazex, you know, I think the older ones run Mitsubishi, but essentially we're, we're a Fanuc shop. So it, it took some doing to get guys to switch over to Heidenhain. Um, but man, is it a nice control. Um, and then the machine itself, the Hermlite itself is just, it's a beautiful looking machine it's a it performs like no other machine i've ever seen um you know it, it's hermley and kern as far as i'm concerned when you come to high-end um, five axis machines kern you know focusing a little bit more on the the smaller envelope whereas hermley has some bigger machines but um to watch to watch the hermley run and and run five axis surfacing tool pass you think okay there's no way that part is going to come out looking good and uh, i mean we produce some of the most beautiful parts we've produced come off the hermley and that's running full five axis and it's just i mean it, it's night and day um compared to anything i've ever run and you know we've our goal and whenever we we launched the project to find a good five axis machine was to reduce our cycle time on a certain part by 40 percent um which is a lofty goal um, we're well over a 50% reduction on that, on that part. Oh um, my on the goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's crazy what they can do. Um, you know, we went from, from single piece flow to re, we run, um, five piece flow on that machine through our fixture. Um, and we've, you know, we have to credit, I mean, Hermley has been great to work with. They're out of Wisconsin. Um, they're, their U.S. headquarters out of Wisconsin. We've been there quite a few times. They've been here quite a few times. They work with us on fixturing. Um, they're they're here if we ever need anything. Um, they've just been great to work with. And so one one piece of technology that has <clears throat> proved itself very useful here recently is um, their 18k spindle um, in down. So they offer I think they offer like a 24k and then a 40k, but on their 18K spindle, which is the ones we got for this reason, is they have aluminum crush bushings on the the way the spindle's mounted. It has six aluminum crush bushings. So if it takes a hit in Z, the the aluminum crush bushings give way and the spindle doesn't, you know, doesn't take any damage. And, you know, they sold us on that or they, they, they told us about that when we were purchasing the machine. And we're like, okay, well, that's great. We'll see if it works. Um, might just be a, a sales pitch. Well, about... Mm, I think this was just before break we had a little mishap on the machine where we crashed in z on on the hermley um i have the crush bushings are sitting behind me they are all crushed oh, the hermley was here within a day um and they had us back up and running within a 12-hour shift oh my goodness and there was zero damage to the spindle the crush bushings cost a couple hundred bucks um so we paid for the guy's time and we were back up and running in a day. Um, so it, it's it's really just ingenious technology, and it, it's it, it makes sense. I I wasn't sold on it when they were you know tell us and telling us about it, but you know I have the proof sitting right behind me, and, and the machine was zero damage, back up and running in a twelve hour shift, and you know it, it's just stuff like that. I mean, their response time on on our our little incident there was great. Um, 
it happened on a Friday. Um, they would have been there the next day had it not been a Friday. Um, so they came in on Monday and we were back up and mon- running by afternoon shift on Monday. So that's amazing. Was, that's impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just stuff like that. Um, they took us, uh, a few of us over to Germany in the spring to their open house. Um, and what a great experience that was. They got to tour of the facility. I don't know if you guys have watched John's video, uh, Saunders video on the Hermley tour. Yeah, I was actually going to um, mention, I think he talks about the uh, crush bushings and I felt the, the same way. I was like, eh, I don't know if those would actually work. Yeah, when we get off here, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you a picture of these things. But they're, they're, <laughs> they're definitely crushed, but the spindle is, is A-OK. But uh, yeah, so the guy, the guy that gives the tour, that Gunther Schnitzer, he is the, you know, the president and ceo or the ceo of hermley usa um and he he is a great guy he you know he's the ceo of the company but he started as a 16 year old kid in germany cutting the grass at hermley wow Um, and he is i think 35 years old and now he's the ceo of of hermley usa um yeah, I mean, he was he was the maintenance guy, the yard guy at 16 years old in Germany, and he worked his way up, and he he really knows the machines in and out. And if you've watched the video, I mean, you can see that he knows the machines in and out. And it's not often you get a CEO that you know has has put in the sweat equity to to get where he is and, and knows the machines that well. Um, he's been to our facility. Um, we've been out there. He's he's a, he's a good, a really good guy. So, you know, I'll, I can't. I have nothing bad to say about Hermley. It's been a great experience. Um, and, you know, we really stumbled upon them at IMTS, you know, the last IMTS. And, and since then, it's just been been nothing but great, great, uh, a great relationship. So uh, we're actually getting ready, I think, to order two more C22s um, this year. So, wow. We're yep. going to slowly become a, a hide and hand shop, it sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Makinos have gotten us very far and they're good machines, but our oldest Makina now is going on eight years old. Um, and in eight years, technology has advanced a, a lot uh, in the machine tool industry. So if we want to kind of stay where we are and, and stay ahead of the game, you know, we have to to invest in new machine tool technology. And that's kind of where we're heading. Um, and, you know, when we launched that project, we looked at every maker. Um, so I, I've I've looked at almost every five axis platform out there because I was heavily involved in, in, you know, the, the research in, in vetting these five axis machines. And at the end of the day, I mean, we just couldn't find one that was better than Hermley. Very cool. Well, I've got two questions left. Um, both are much more general. One uh, that I came up with yesterday, I, th- I don't know if you had seen it on the list, was are you more motivated by the fear of failure or a desire for success, both in your day job and at your shop? Yeah, I saw you snuck that one in there. I almost missed it. I was like, <laughs> oh, man, that one would have caught me off guard. And it's still, it's a tough question to answer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's got to be a little bit of both. Um, I don't like failure. Um, and sometimes I'll see, th- see things through to a fault um, because I don't like, failure i don't like being my wife she's probably better to answer this is i don't like being wrong <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, I'll do anything i can to 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 be right and it eventually at the end of the day if i'm wrong i'll admit it but i i i don't like failure but you know i i want to be successful not only for myself but for my family like i said i want i want to leave something for 
for my boys, even if it's, you know, as they're growing up to teach them good work ethic or to teach them the basics of machining and to, to use their hands and other for something other than, you know, Xbox controller or something like that. You know, I, I want to, that's kind of how I was brought up. And I think our generation was brought up and I kind of see it slipping to the wayside. Um, you know, Dylan, I'm sure you see it in your day job. It's, it's hard to, to hire a good, a good technical person anymore. You know, so a good operator, a good setup guy. It's just, it's difficult to find someone that, that one wants to show up to work and one is and two is willing to work. Um, so I kind of want to instill that in, in them. So even if, you know, even if 10 years from now I close the doors on the shop, you know, in those 10 years, if, if I've taught my boys something and, and got to spend time with them in the shop, you know, it'll be worth it for sure. So like I said, it's a little bit of both. I don't want my shop to fail. And I think just the way I am, I don't, I don't think I'll let it fail and I'll, I'll grind it to the very end probably. Um, but again, I, I just want to be successful for myself and for my family. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, how I would answer that question. I think that's a great answer. And then, like you said, you know, success takes many shapes and forms. It doesn't mean one thing. So I, I definitely appreciate that. So the, the last question, and this is one, um, I didn't even talk over with Peyton. We've been talking about this for a while though, is you, at, you've listened to the podcast, Yep. What do you think that we could do better? Because 2020 is going to be the year that we really want to kick this thing in gear and, and do better. What what do you think we should do better about the podcast? Uh, that's tough. Honestly, I think you guys do a great job. Um, I like, so I know in the last episode you said, uh, someone reached out and said, more are you two talking. And I, I enjoy the episodes where it's just you guys talking, but I really enjoy episodes like this where, um, you know, you have a guest on and, and you get to learn and, you know, I'm, I feel honored to be, you know, in the list of guests that you've already had on here. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm on here as well as Jay Pearson. I don't really consider myself in the same realm as, as Jay and, you know, Jay's a great guy and I've spoken with him short briefly on Instagram, but you know, him and Danny Rudolph and, and all the others that you've had on here, you know, Andrew Henry from Henry Holsters. And let me tell you what a, interesting guy like, <laughs> I, I want to find him at imts so andrew if you're listening we got to meet up at imts and i want to go have a drink with you because it sounds <laughs> i mean he just sounds like a cool dude to hang out with you know and, and you don't you don't see a lot of you know that artistic ability and, and that kind of person in, in our industry and you know like i said when we started this podcast is i am not artistic at all so maybe i just kind of express my any sort of art through through my products and through my machining but man i can't draw to save my life i can't can't do any of that um so so yeah he's a he seems like a a, a great guy and i followed him for a while and i never would have guessed he went to school for uh what was viola it? making and, and violin <laughs> making yeah same i yeah i mean I, I even talked to him at the last imts and had zero idea of his backstory so i, I think we're definitely gonna have to do some sort of meetup with all of our guests and anybody listening at the next IMTS. Um, I, I know at least right now I'm totally planning on going. I think Peyton said that he's planning on going, so we're going to have to put something on um, maybe in conjunction with one of the other podcasts or all the other podcasts, but for sure I want to, you know, kind of really put a face to all the names that we've talked to and, and, you know, get to really hang out and chat more. About yeah, definitely. This. And I'll, I plan on being there all week um, this year. Um, the last year or the last IMTS, I went with Perryman Company. We were there for the first like day and a half, 
And that was when we were swamped with this five axis project. So I had meetings with, you know, machine tool builders and I was running around. So I didn't get to really see everything I wanted to see. So I think um, whether or not they choose to take me again this year, I'm planning on being there all week. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. And like I said, if, if things go well, hopefully I'll be researching some, some machines for myself. But uh, so one thing I had down here, um, I know you guys have talked about, uh, you know, getting more involved in, in the instant machinist community and whether it's doing giveaways and things like that. And, you know, this idea kind of popped in my head and it's just something to, to chew on. I know people really enjoyed, at least I did, um, when, you know, Curtis Chan did the Autodesk cam challenges, you guys were talking about your Christmas ornaments. So kind of, it kind of popped back into my head and, you know, since he left and went to ANSYS, I, I, I haven't really seen too much as far as any sort of cam challenge or any sort of challenge whatsoever. Um, so I don't know if something like that would, you know, pique your interest, you know, some sort of within tolerance cam challenge or some sort of challenge. I know I'd be more than happy to, to donate a razor to the cause, but, uh, I think that's a, I, I always enjoyed that. It kind of brought the instant machinist community together and was fun. So, okay. No, we'll definitely keep that in mind though. that. That would be fantastic. I, yeah, I would I like that idea. I mean, I, I absolutely love the challenges. I think we competed in every single one of them, even if we had some hardships along the way getting yeah. things done. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I always really appreciated it, and I thought it really brought our community together. So uh, that, that's a great offer from you, and uh, maybe we should reach out, Peyton and, and I, and uh, kind of see who, who else is willing to donate something small, and we can put something together. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think that would be, you know, something that a lot of people would be interested in for sure. So I had a couple of questions for you guys. Shoot. If, uh... Yeah. All right. So my first question is, I don't think you ever covered it. Have you two ever met in person? Nope. <laughs> nope. Oh, uh, I didn't... No, we, we met at uh, IMTS. I don't think that it was very, very long, but I have met you in person, Peyton. <laughs> See, Peyton doesn't make <laughs> of an impression, Dylan. <laughs> Yeah, because we was this? the last IMTS. I, I am a hundred percent sure that I met met you. <laughs> no, you did not. Yeah, I can't remember who it was with. I but... was with the only person I was with that I knew at the time was Nick Full Throttle. Um, like that's the only person I knew. I don't even know if I said hi, but I I feel like I was talking <laughs> in a group with a lot of people with you because I, okay, I remember well, seeing you there. Maybe the other two people I was with, I walked around with Grimsmo. The last day he was there, and then I talked to Saunders a little bit, but other than that, I was with Dill or not Dylan with Nick. <laughs> yeah, well, I, sounds I like know I'm trying to remember your first date with your girlfriend <laughs> or something. Hearing about it, I, I, I'm positive I met you. I don't think I, I think I might have just said hi or something like that, but I, I do remember seeing you there in, in passing. Me. I think um, you're crazy. No, 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 I, I totally remember, but anyway, um, well, so yeah, either way, I mean. It, it, whether or not you have, it. I mean, it, it, that kind of speaks to how awesome the instant machinist and, and, and Instagram in general, as much as I hate to say it, because I think Instagram can be, a, and social media in general can be a, a cancer if, if used the wrong way. But, you know, I think the instant machinist community is awesome. And the fact that you guys may or may not have met, <laughs> but, but we're able to, you know, meet each other at least online and then start a podcast and run a podcast for over half a year. Um, is kind of speaks to to that community so i think i think that's awesome and it was a question that I, I like i said i don't think you ever covered it and apparently there might be a few to bring <laughs> here, but, uh... no i, I completely so, agree though pictures it's, it's, it didn't happen 
I, I, I'm going to have to go look now because I might even have one. But uh, no, it, it's funny you say that because another good friend or what I would consider a really good friend of mine now um, lives in Phoenix. He's 523 Industries on Instagram. And okay, yeah. he just reached out to me randomly and was like, Hey, I live in Phoenix now and see that you're down in Tucson. Can I come down and hang out someday? And like now we're friends and we hang out, you know, every now and again, whenever one of us is in the other's town, but it like, it was right. completely, you know, we, we didn't know each other before that, but it was just like, Hey, you machine. I like machining. Let's hang out. So. Right. Exactly. And, and there are so many people that I consider my friends that I have never met. And it's all through Instagram. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, tons of people I, t- I talk to regularly on Instagram I've, I've never met. And that's why this IMTS, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to meeting, uh, you know, I know, obviously I know their faces already, but uh, just, you know, meeting them in person and, and, you know, going out and grabbing a drink or, or whatever. And it's just, I don't know, it's cool. It's a, it's an odd kind of way to, you know, meet people and, and become friends, but it's, it's awesome. And just the, the knowledge that's out there and the willingness to, to share and to help, um, is, is pretty great. So, and, you know, you got to credit guys like John Saunders who, who really was at the forefront of, of that movement. And I talked to John a lot as well. I have met John. Um, but I talked to him a lot as well. Everything he's done for this industry is, is pretty incredible. Him and him and Grimsmo. So, it's it's a cool community and it's it's fun to be a part of yeah i completely agree all right let's see i got two more questions and they're for peyton Uh oh. all right peyton would you buy your dm again no no i would not why and what would you go with <sighs> honestly i could have gotten by with a super mini mail yeah i've looked at those i don't like the umbrella tool chain you know I'm, I'm not... i i don't like it the appeal and the how slow it is i don't like either but like you've even hinted to is speed doesn't really matter as much as people think i and i think i got kind of played by that by the appeal of this super fast machine where it's like honestly even if it would take you know even a minute longer on certain cycles i mean i don't it doesn't it doesn't matter you know Right, right. What you what you're gaining with your machine is is pretty much all on tool changes and rapids, yeah. right? And even the rapids on the super mini mill, I'm sure, are somewhat close to what the DM is. But you know, I could see if you're running a thousand parts where the cycle time is, you know, three minutes, right? So your tool changes matter there. But you know, you're running mostly molds, so how much do your tool changes matter? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, case I, in point, I just finished a job for 100 parts, and just changing rapids from, I mean, this is a case for the DM, is changing the rapids from 50% to 100%. I saved 20 minutes total over 100 parts, which, I mean, that's a good chunk of change. If it was anything less, I probably wouldn't care. Right. Yeah, that's decent, but, you know, I mean, there's a decent cost difference between those two machines as well oh, yeah right? i mean so i was curious as i'm kind of starting to look into machines and obviously i'm or uh, actually i'm probably going to end up going with a haas eh, i'll say probably right now but a lot can happen between now and oh, then yeah. and you know i see they they have a vf2 ss with a fourth axis for 76.9 or something like that and that's that's kind of tempting me because I don't need a fifth axis for the parts I run, but a fourth axis with some sort of tombstone setup would be ideal. So I'm kind of leaning in that direction. Um, you mean you're not no, going to buy a Doosan? 
Don't get me started. <laughs> I'll get in trouble if guys from work listen to this and hear me griping about no, I think everyone has the same opinion here, but um no, I I don't know. Even Mori has a CMX eleven hundred, which is like a uh essentially a VF four. Um and it's a it's made in Davis, California, so it's made in the States and I think it's like hundred and thirty K. Yeah, but it's fully decked out probing through spindle coolant, um, fourth axis ready, no fourth axis. So I've been tempted there as well. And um, it's a little bit bigger machine, but I don't know. I don't know which way I'm going to go, but that's a, we'll a, a bizarre machine too. They have one at my local community college now and like the sliding Y head, um, is yeah, kind of, a, yeah, the head moves in the Y. Yeah. It's a strange, yep. or, uh, organization. Yeah. It's axes. got Siemens control too is what's on yeah those have siemens you guys there yes sorry i got quiet um so i have one more question okay and it's also for peyton and it's a little bit deep oh boy (laughs) so peyton you're you're a one-man show right as far as i'm concerned Uh, you ever get lonely in the shop yes (laughs) I'm the same way. So I, I, I'm as far as machining goes, I'm pretty much a one man show. And it, especially when things aren't going too well, um, like here at work, it's nice to have someone to lean on or to share the frustration with, but man, when I'm out there alone and things aren't going good, it, it becomes lonely. Um, it's, uh, it, I, I hope one day I get to hire an employee just so I can have someone to talk to, even if that's all they do, <laughs> at least someone to share my frustration with. So, oh yeah. It's, it's yeah, tough. I, yeah. And you know, especially for you, I mean, well, you've worked in some shops before though. Right? Yeah. And it's funny. I was going to bring that up. My last shop had an MV 40 and I programmed in a spree and dealt with post issues. So like all the things you were saying, <laughs> I was just like, yep, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, I remember you said you had programmed an MV on, on one of the older episodes, but yeah, the Spree, you know, don't get me started. I've used the Spree for when I uh, did uh, all my wired EDM stuff, I used the Spree, and it was great for that, but that's pretty straightforward. It's not, I mean, mostly three-axis, a little bit of taper stuff, but mostly three-axis stuff. So, so yeah, that was, uh, that was just a random question I thought of, and it's something, you know, especially when things aren't going well, I, I, I could use someone to share the frustration with and if I go in and into the house and start, you know, screaming and yelling, one, my wife probably doesn't understand what I'm frustrated about because, you know, she helps a lot with the marketing, shipping, that kind of stuff, but not too much with the, uh, the machine tool stuff. So, so she probably doesn't understand. Um, she probably cares a little bit, but not too much. And that's about it. So (laughs) on that note also, um, just a real quick side note. If you ever want to get a lot of likes on something on Instagram or a lot of views and reach a lot of people, post a video or picture of your significant other running your machine. Holy cow. <laughs> Talk about the... I posted a video of my wife running the Mori and she was running it. Uh, she was touching off tools. It got, it got 53,000 views in like the first, I don't know, two days. Wow. And like, it's by far my highest performing post Oh my goodness. So expect to see a lot more of my wife. I was going to say, so that's why she's been on your feed more. (laughs) 
<laughs> the old saying of uh, sex sells, I guess it's true. I mean, holy cow, I could not believe <laughs> the the response. I mean, oh. but <laughs> yeah, that, that was just a quick side note. That, yeah. Yeah. So, well, before we wrap up, others. let's uh, go ahead, plug whatever you need to. Um, you've got your safety razors. Once you, your Instagram, your website, all that stuff, plug, plug everything. Um, we want everybody to, you know, go flood you with some orders. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, my website is yatesprecision.com. Um, my razors right now are sold out there. You can sign up for a back in stock email. They should be back in stock within the next couple of weeks. Um, if you're wanting a razor right now, go to westcoastshaving.com and just search, start typing in Yates and then my razor will pop up there. You know, you buy razors from them and essentially helps me because they'll reorder. Um, my Instagram at Yates Precision. My wife's Instagram is ash underscore Yates Precision, I believe. Um, and then Facebook is just Yates Precision. And then I'm gonna, my wife has me roped into starting a YouTube channel and I guess I'm going to be on video, which you know, similar to this, it's a little bit out, outside my comfort zone, but I think it's good to get outside your comfort zone. Um, so I'm going to be starting a YouTube channel, I guess. So look for that upcoming as well. Awesome. Yeah. I saw that in a post. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So, so one, one other quick question. I know Peyton, you mentioned quite a bit, go back to the first episode and it's, it's cringeworthy when you listen to yourself. Does it get does it get easier? You know, I, I've even noticed, you know, at the beginning of this episode, this is my first podcast I've ever done. It was a little bit awkward at first, but I kind of, you know, as it, as we went on here, it got a lot easier. I mean, you know, you guys are what, 27, 28 episodes in. Is it pretty much flow now? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, as definitely. far as YouTube goes, I mean, put it this way. I've been doing YouTube for 10 years, over half my life, um, 1300 plus videos, and it's still hard for me. I mean, Granted, compared to my first one, it's piece of cake, but it's still it can be weird at times. But you just got to push through it. Yeah. So, so your YouTube stuff quickly. What do you use to edit your videos? I use an old Adobe Premiere, and then I also use this new software that I've been playing with, DaVinci Resolve. It's a free software. Okay. Um, and luckily, I have a friend that uses that in film school, so he can answer my dumb questions for me. Okay. Yeah, because we're gonna be entering that uh, realm here shortly and that's something i'm not great at and really don't feel like learning so that's gonna all be on my wife so. yeah look into that yeah i didn't even know you had a youtube channel so you gotta start plugging that a little yeah, bit more. yeah I, I need to there's a lot of things on my list <laughs> is your youtube channel mainly lego or machining it's or both? all lego but then i also have one that i haven't really talked about that does have a couple machining videos and i need to work on that all right, what do you use to video? Uh, got an old Canon camera, and then I also have like a Canon T4i, and a, then honestly, the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anymore, you know, the iPhone camera is just about as good as, you know, a camera off the shelf. Yeah. And I use I use a GoPro, and I'm pretty happy with it. There you go, yeah. So, all right, I think that's, that's all the questions I had for you guys. Awesome. Well, well, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, you were so thorough in all your a answers. We really appreciate that. Yeah, sorry if I was too thorough. It's a little long here, but uh, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, I always enjoy talking machining and, uh, you know, I live and breathe it. So anyone wants to reach out to me on Instagram and just talk about machining, uh, I'm, I'm all ears or email me, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I like to help when I can. And, you know, 
I also like to reach out for some help. So awesome. Well, thanks so much, everybody. Go check out Jake Yates, Yates Precision Machine, um, Instagram, all that stuff. Go buy a razor. Uh, follow us with Intolerance Podcast. We've got t shirts and stickers coming out real soon because we're real close to a thousand followers. And uh, I think that'll do for the night. Thanks, guys. Yep. All right, guys. See you next week. Thank you.